Let's check in with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun this morning. Good morning, Vaughn. Good morning, Simi. All right, let's talk about something kind of not COVID-related. This has to do with contract bargaining in the province, because, boy, there's a lot going on on this front. Yeah, so the government has a few other challenges on its plate, along with somehow or other managing the fifth wave of the pandemic. Uh, One of the biggest ones for the New Democrats is that this year is bargaining year across the public sector. So the way it works in British Columbia, they try to make sure that all of the public sector unionized workers, whether they're central government or healthcare or schools, Crown corporations, all government services, the contracts expire roughly the same year. So expiry date for most of the contracts that were signed uh, is the 31st of March, except in the school system where it's June the 30th. So it's a huge number. There's about almost 200 contracts across the public sector, almost 400,000 workers. And the usual policy, Simi, is for the government to say, here's the bargaining mandate, here's what we're offering, let's talk and try to get everybody signed up without strikes or showdowns or reduced services or any of that. The New Democrats had a pretty easy time of it last time, Simi. Uh, they were a minority government. They'd just gotten into government. They didn't want to look like they were giving away the store to their allies right. and the unions. So they got away with, at the time, it seemed like generous but not over-the-top settlements, 2% a year for each of three years. Well, those three years are up this year, and I don't think they're going to get away with 2, 2, and 2 again. I think there's going to be a lot of expectations for more. So would you say the bill has come due? Yeah, look, I mean, the unions, well, it's hard to remember the kind of mindset we had in the before times, but in those days, I think a lot of the unions bought the argument that, hey, we don't want government that we help get elected uh, look like, as I say, they're giving away the store. Now, I'm sure there's people in the private sector that would be delighted with 6% over three years, but that's the situation. This time, the pressures are very, very different, and the costs are too. And First of all, inflation has come back. Uh, for the first time, you're hearing it elsewhere where talks have already started that Needless to say, union bargainers want some protection against inflation. They're they're factoring that into their expectations. BC, I think, also won't surprise anybody that healthcare workers, in particular, are going to want improvements in wages and benefits to to just partly compensate them for the kind of workload they've had the last few years. You have recruitment issues as well in schools and in other parts of the public sector. And um, I think also, you know, uh, the other thing that will affect costs this time, Simi, is that public sector has grown under the NDP. The New Democrats have brought some contracted services back into government. They've increased staffing in health care, of course. They needed to. So you put all that into the mix. Uh, the old rule, Simi, was that uh, if they gave 1%, across the board to the entire public sector. And the government tries to do that so that some groups don't feel like they're getting more than others because it is bargaining. So 1% across the board, the entire public sector for one year costs the provincial treasury about $300 million. So 3% is almost a billion. Three years is $3 billion. So that's how it works. I think it'll be more expensive this time. I think uh, everybody expects that. 
The government will try to argue, because they do have their own bargaining committees and their own negotiators, they'll try to argue that, hey, uh, you're in a public sector union, at least you kept your job through the last couple of years. That's not what happened in the private sector. I expect they'll argue that, Simi. I don't know as though that argument will go very far. Yeah, so where where are they at right now with this process? Well, the way they are at the process is they're running a bit late. Usually, by this time, we already have the mandate announced. So last time, not long after the New Democrats got into office in 2017, they announced that for the bargaining round that was coming, it was going to be 2-2-2. and And they started signing contracts early before that. They try to find unions that are more compliant, willing to go along, willing to sign up. That whole process is running behind schedule. By this time, last time round, they already had a bunch of unions signed. So it's understandable the government does have a few more things on its plate. The unions do too, you know. I think they're going... Well, how much allowance do we need for inflation? Does anybody really know whether inflation is going to be permanent or temporary? Uh, so we're behind schedule. The only good thing, I guess, the government would say about that is uh, nobody expected the government to be running ahead of schedule and contract signing. Everybody recognizes they have a lot more things to deal with this year. And I don't think there's much public patience right now for unions that would choose to reduce services, uh, take job action, uh, given what else is going on. So they have more time in terms of pressure, but they also, to me, face a bigger challenge in getting everyone to settle. Right. That's that's interesting, though, because you're saying there's pressure on both sides here, right? Not yeah. just on the government side, but on the union side, too, to be careful what you ask yeah. for. Yep. And you probably noticed, because uh, I'm always delighted when I hear people buying radio advertising and print advertising <laughs> to make their case, that the teachers were already running yeah. ads this fall saying, hey, teachers, you know, a lot of pressure, all that. Understandable, right? They are looking after their members. But I think they were also uh, on NW this fall preparing the public for Teachers are going to be looking for a little something more in the next bargaining round, and again, for obvious reasons, given what teachers have had to put up with for the last few years. But that's, I mean, I think a lot of people would say they have a lot of sympathy for healthcare workers, right? Yeah. Like there's almost like a, um, yeah. a priority in people's minds too, the general public's minds about who should get what. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right for healthcare workers in particular. Uh, late last year, didn't get a lot of attention, but the government quietly took back a bunch of jobs in healthcare that had been privatized and contracted out under the BC Liberals. They brought those workers back into government. It means more security, job security for those workers, better benefits, more stable pay, and and, and all of it for a group of people that have really been putting it out and, and have earned a lot of support from the public. But when you come to adding up the bills, a bigger public sector is also more expensive. Uh, you know, somebody's wages and benefits, if you look at it on the broad sense, including doctors and teachers and crown corporations and everybody in the public sector, somebody's wages and benefits, pensions, is pretty much 60% of the entire provincial budget. So a $60 billion budget, you do the math. It's, it's the, one of the most expensive things the government does. Understandably, public services are very people-intensive, as we discovered during the pandemic. 
Right. Okay. So there's that to come. Uh, let's also talk about the museum situation. I know yeah. this is a story that we've kind of touched on every time it has come up. Yeah, the year ended on a pretty sour note for the Royal BC Museum. It's one of the most popular tourist attractions in town. It was, one, was past tense, one of the most admired museums in Canada. And uh, late last year, they started running ads locally here in the capital, telling Victorians, capital region residents, hey, come on down, have a last look at some of the most popular exhibits in the museum. So Old Town, Chinatown, Captain George uh, Vancouver's ship, uh, very, very popular, not just with the tourists, but with local residents, took the kids there, schools that went there. Uh, as of uh, Jan- uh, sorry, December the 31st, all those exhibits were closing permanently. The demolition contracts have been let as we speak. They have already started demolishing them for all time. They are gone. Those exhibits in the museum are being remade in the name of decolonialization. So I thought they were kind of reimagining things. They're just are they they're just destroying them? They're destroying them. I mean, look, they they did this without broad public consultation. They did not ask Victorians, first of all, who you know live here and pay taxes and patronize the museum year round. Nor did they announce what they're doing once they've torn out the exhibits. They basically have just gone ahead and they are destroying the exhibits, removing everything, creating a blank slate, and then they're going to have a big, broad public consultation over what we're going to put back. Now, just try to imagine the arguments we're going to have over this, right? I mean, I would say that the public response here was, if you want to add stuff to the museum, to tell the full story of our history and oh, update add it. Stuff, Go by all ahead. Means, yeah. They added the Chinatown exhibit that way. They've added stuff. They added a First Nation languages exhibit where you could hear First Nation languages being spoken. And there's plenty of grounds for improving and updating the museum. But I haven't been able to find an, an example anywhere where they started by demolishing the status quo, and then said, we'll talk to you about what we're going to put back. But we also know that they had a lot of problems administration-wise yeah. in the museum too, didn't they? Yeah. There was, a, there was an ugly round at the museum, accusations of racism and microaggression, a change of leadership at the museum. The provincial government sort of stepped in and intervened. But, you know, under... The cover of that embarrassment, I think the people who took over at the museum took advantage of it and just said, okay, let's wipe the slate clean and start fresh. Um, If it weren't a public institution where people feel they have some ownership in it, especially locally where it's an important part of the community, uh, I guess you could get away with that. But I I really think they, they damaged their relationship with the community here in the capital region. There was a lot of anger. And they made it doubly worse by kind of a preachy response, Simi, that said, you know, you people don't know what you want here. We know what you want here, and we're going to do it. And yeah, we'll talk to you about what we're going to replace it with. But first of all, we're getting rid of all this stuff. We're just tearing it out and throwing it in the dumpster.